This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And uh, as always, I'm here with Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? I am okay, thank you, in this uh, wonderful Mad Max universe. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm doing fine. Is, is it uh, the darkest timeline? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, it is the, the, getting the most terrifying and the most boring episode of Black Mirror. All in one. Um, All in one. It's true. <laughs> so, to, to wash away the uh, pains of reality, uh, let's, let's talk about some 3D printing and additive manufacturing stuff. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Who do we got so, today? <laughs> uh, so today as a guest, um, so uh, we've got Ben Farrar, and Ben is the the VP and general manager of Carpenter Additive. And uh, Carpenter is a, a large metals company, and Carpenter Additive is their metal powder offering, mainly for uh, powder bed fusion. Uh, but I'm sure they'll have other products for, for other technologies as they emerge and become more popular. And uh, Ben joined the industry. Uh, way back when, when uh, and worked for LPW as a CTO and LPW was acquired by Carpenter. And Carpenter is now, or through Carpenter Additive, one of the largest distributors of uh, metal powders in the world. So you know, in the equation between software and settings and um, procedures and the machine, uh, the material plays an extraordinarily important part to, to getting to your final part. And uh, that's where yeah, his expertise comes in. So yeah, I'd like to welcome uh, Ben to the, to the 3D pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's great to be on. So first of all, I think I think uh, of the powder side. I think there's a lot of polymer people that would be listening that would not know a lot about this, and of course there'd be a lot of metal people that that probably maybe customers of yours. Um, uh, as a, quite a small universe of uh, actual suppliers of metal powder, as opposed to companies that say they offer metal powder. Um, so so first off, I think I think you know we, we need to talk a little bit about the materials. So so you know. Used to be that our industry was very TI sixty four focused, um, but now we're seeing a lot of steels and a lot of other materials emerge, even like things like aluminum and stuff like that. So, you know, what's the metal powder market like? Could you give us a little bit of a helicopter view? Then? I I agree with your sentiment, right? When these technologies first came out, you know, it was very much cobalt chrome and titanium six four, right? And actually, where I started uh, my career in additive manufacturing was for a, a medical device manufacturer uh, doing process development on TISEX 4. And, and really what we then saw was we saw people moving more towards the stainless steels just for a lower cost option, more for the prototyping side of, side of things in, in metal additive. And um, out of that, we've developed into the, the more complex nickel super alloys, so and, and aluminum alloys for, for aerospace as well and automotive. Where we sit today, we see a pretty much an even uh, an even mix within the, the market of uh, stainless steels, like being roughly 25%, nickel alloys and cobalt alloys being roughly 25%, titaniums being right, roughly 25% of the market, and aluminium being 20 to 25% of the market. So there really is a whole, you know, a whole range of applications out there for these for the different materials that that we we tend to have uh, gravitated towards for, for metal 3d 
Yeah, and I think I think the biggest surprise I think with a lot of people is aluminum. I think that came out of nowhere, like, yeah. from being impossible to all of a sudden being really big. Can you explain that? Uh, why aluminum is so interesting? I think again, right? You you think about the the properties that usually exist with aluminium, right? In terms of its you know its its weight, and also the the fact that it's a pretty low cost option. And in the early days of additive, it was really challenging to to print anything other than casting alloys, right? So getting you know good mechanical properties uh, without cracking was a was a real difficulty. And over the last five years, we've seen a number of significant developments of, um, you know, of high strength aluminium alloys that are essentially weldable, whether that be through a unique chemistry or through uh, an, an additive put into the material to, uh, to effectively, you know, su- support that, that welding process, meaning that, you know, it becomes a, it actually becomes a viable option for additive. Yeah, I, th- I think that, 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 I thought it was really exciting, especially for a lot of industries that traditionally use a lot of aluminum already. It's really funny, actually, that as a consultant <laughs> in the beginning, for me, which is about, uh, like 10, 11 years ago or something, when I was doing consulting stuff, I, I was able to like demonstrate my value on like day one by telling metal people like, how much are you paying for titanium? And they would say like 860 a kilo. <laughs> Right. yeah exactly I'd like, yeah <laughs> i'd be like yeah you can go to these apc guys and you they'll or or buy a uh, from uh at the time you could buy from arkham i think as well and they'll, they'll charge you like a lot less you know like 170 dollars it's like the difference is astronomical and then i didn't have to as a consultant really do much else because i'd save them that much money yeah <laughs> right there there you go in, in five minutes yeah, exactly. and then so some guys so google like, would have like, done just as good a job no 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 it was all it was all really intransparent it was really difficult to figure oh, okay. out how but, much everything uh, and a lot of times the people didn't want to break their machine they were afraid that if they put yeah. anything else out in there it would just be like i don't know somehow it would just like catch fire or something and it would be terrible not that catching fire is something contrite in this industry with metal powders but <laughs> but, but um, i think but, it also came back to the you know the strategy of the of the machine tool vendors right they looked at the traditional printing industry and thought that it was going to be that the consumables you know in terms of ink for your printer would be the big profitable entity right so yeah. they always forecasted in a huge revenue stream and huge margins on on powders in the early days yeah. and and really tried to do everything to stop uh, people using their materials yeah. right yeah, you had to pay at one point. You had to pay also hundred grand to unlock your machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? It would like remotely lock or something? What? No, it was just like settings. The settings were frozen, which also oh. kind of makes sense, right? But because uh, you didn't want people to try everything, but the settings were like right. super. Like you couldn't actually, you wouldn't be able to qualify a new material. You need like a couple hundred kilos to, in a polymer sense, to to qualify a new material, and you need to play with these settings. And if you're not can't do that, you basically can't put a new PA in it and the same with the metals as well but so so I'm I like I can understand right the perspective that they offer there because I I worked for uh, a company uh, called MTT Technologies that was then was then acquired by Renishaw right and and my role there was uh, running the research and development team to design the, the AM machines the metal 3d printing machines and some of the crazy stuff that we would have happen, you, I mean, you wouldn't believe it. So uh, very often we tried to simplify the process as much as possible by 
reducing the number of variables, reducing the number of materials and parameters, because ultimately it, it is really complex. Fortunately, we're in a position now where, you know, customers have become the experts in a lot of cases with respect to the, the process and, and they can be, they can almost be trusted, right, to develop parameters that work rather than parameters that will kill know, the machine. Kill the machine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you that in the first in the first three years of releasing those AM machines, the amount of times we had to go to customers' sites to reset the wiper blade system because they hadn't supported a part properly and it had flicked up in front of the blade and then yeah. and then collided and stopped the blade or mm. we had one recoder bump. Yeah, recoder. <laughs> yeah. Recoder bump. No, seriously. Yeah. And everybody would blame it on everyone else. So yeah, right. the, 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 the customer would say like, oh, it's the, uh, it's the, the machine manufacturer. They look at that. The, the, and then it, you wouldn't know, right? Until the build finishes, then you'd open it and then it'd be like, oh, oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like exactly. a souffle. You're making a really expensive souffle for three days. We, we, had, uh, we had one customer, uh, a research institute, fill their machine with ceramic powder, which is obviously really hard and it's yeah. not spherical. It's really, uh, really abrasive. And it would just rip out all the seals that are in the, the machine. So one day they'd be like, well, why is there powder turning up over here? And it's like, <laughs> well, you put us, you know, you effectively put an abrasive powder in it. It's just yeah. ripped all the seals out. And powder's just flowing through the machine, you know. It's like... <laughs> Oh man, we're we're so lucky to have gotten this far with all the the fires, fires as well. I think it's actually a very serious problem. Yeah, but yeah, um, especially with well, titanium. the temperatures you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, just the powder as well. I started running running machines myself, right, with titanium years and years ago, and I'm not going to say that we didn't have any fires or you know because we everyone did have does more. I think if you do it right? long enough, then yeah. But the reality of it was right is. You know, and and still is today. People are scooping metal powders, right, yeah. it, out of bottles into machines. People are, you know, climbing up ladders with 10, 20 kilo bottles to pour them in the top of a big hopper. And that's one of the reasons why we've started developing technologies to enable people to more safely transport powders and more safely load machines and unload machines through a yeah. through a suite of products that we call Powder Life. Yeah, but I think I think also the interesting thing about that is you also don't want well you don't want any contamination in your powder definitely not, not a, like a you know an eyelash or something that would suck. Yeah. Um, uh, but at the same time, well the guy should be protected anyway. You should wear like a full face mask anyway. But you know just to you know just to give you an example, but you also don't want any oxygen in there as well, right? Yeah. Right. right. So 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 what is the the so what do you do to maybe assure do the quality assurance for these powders? Because it used to be bottles, right? And people pouring in bottles. I'm not thinking that's like great if you're going to be making orthopedic implants or uh, if you're going to be doing aerospace parts. So what's the what's the the, the correct way to do that? So so we have a, a series of products, um, and one of them is a a stainless steel medical grade stainless steel hopper that is charged uh, full of powder at our facilities. We send the machine or the the hopper directly to our customers full of powder up to say 500 kilos of powder, and then they can load it directly to their machine and fill their machine directly from the hopper. So they don't have to have a, an operator come into contact with powder at any point. Right. There's, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's really, you know, and then do they send the hopper back when they're done and you guys yeah. refill it? Basically? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. correct. 
and and as we've developed those products further we've re we've recognized that there's more of a need for understanding further into the recycling processes because exactly as you talked about oxygen right oxygen isn't necessarily an issue at room temperature um, most of the powders won't really absorb oxygen but when it's in the machine it's being heated up if there's any oxygen content or moisture content inside the machine or inside the powder then that will be absorbed into your powder and into your final part and be a detriment to your mechanical properties so uh, developing new techniques for keeping the powder clean uh, and monitoring the powder is is really critical as well yeah because other stuff i think i think also you yeah sphericality is very very important to just purity of the metal itself and and why, why so sphericality you know it's important because you pack the build volume and you also don't get like structures that are unintended structures right when we talk about like how spherical the material is it, it's really because it contributes to the flowability right and so when you're spreading such fine layers you can't you know you can't afford to have the material uh, clogging up either on your wiper blade or in in the hopper uh, to be able to distribute an even layer of powder every time it's really important so flowability is really important and but you also don't want like you know a stringing of structures uh, what are they called selectites or whatever those things uh, yeah. i don't want that kind of stuff building up as well i know i always mispronounce it. how do i say that properly it's, are, are uh, you trying to say satellites on the power that one yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like all things right it's a combination of properties that have a negative effect right so there's so many things that affect flow it can be you know the humidity it can be moisture it can be um the rheology of the powder in terms of you know the morphology in terms of shape but you're right um that combination causes huge problems if you can't spread an even layer or even get it through your get it through your hopper systems mm -hmm. And and how do you guys then test your own powders to develop them and to make the the right type of powder? Is that just is that just iteration or is is that modeling or how do you how do you do that? Well, so I mean the the powder manufacturing process. I don't know how much you know about it, but um, it's typically for additive through a process called gas atomization. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have a big uh, furnace full of molten metal, and you make sure you tune the you know, the, the chemistry in that to be correct for the output that you need. Like, so you may um, heat it under vacuum for a certain period of time to make sure you get any, you know, any air bubbles. Excess, and stuff, right? Yeah, excess materials. Right. Um, and then you, you drop that material out of the, the furnace through a nozzle where it's hit with really high speed argon gas or nitrogen gas. And that divides, that really finely divides it. And then they turn spherical as they cool and drop in, a, in an atomization tower or cooling tower. With different materials, you have to have ultimately different nozzle type, different uh, gas metal ratios uh, through your nozzle, which you know changes the yield that you get. So that changes the size uh, distribution that you get. You know, we... Uh, we're fortunate enough within Carpenter to have been atomizing powders for, for 40 years, right? So whilst 40 years ago, we didn't recognize that necessarily those manufacturing techniques were going to be useful for additive manufacturing, we've over time developed our capabilities to really tune specifically for AM cut. Well, what about layering with different materials as you go along? Is that, I know some companies have started to look at that technology. 
um, mixing metals. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of headache is that? <laughs> well, look, like like these additive, like a lot of these additive processes, it comes down to the application and whether it can sustain the value. Because even if you can, if even if you do have two metals that weld well together and mm-hmm. then you can form a, a multi-material part, you have to think when you have then the rest of the powder bed, say you melt 90, 10% of the powder bed, you still have 90% of powder that comes out of the machine mixed together. Oh, so yeah. You can't then split it apart. You're effectively using all of that material in one, in one build. Um, which, you know, then when you think about the buy-to-fly efficiencies that people claim through metal additive techniques, they just go completely out the window. Right when you're only melting ten percent of no, yeah, <laughs> you might as well cut it. No. That is a very fair point. <laughs> I, I I did once have uh, have a guy. He put a bottle of uh, stainless steel powder into a machine full of titanium. Mm-hmm. Um, that was he had a long three weeks trying to split it out with a magnet. After that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we didn't really think it was going to be successful, but he certainly learned his lesson and never did yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. sure you learned that because the, the, these particles are like what forty micron or something like that. Also, yeah, t- I mean that's yeah. Typically, typically it's yeah. fifteen to forty-five microns or or fifteen to fifty microns. Yeah. Uh, so so and and so what does it take to so you guys are, are, are a powder manufacturer that also do uh, additive manufacturing. Yeah, exciting! I think an exciting growth area for a company like Carpenter. I think coming out of nowhere. Hey, it's our product, right? Um, what we noticed is there's there's a couple of other big companies that do this kind of powder stuff, and I'm doing it for a long, long time. Sandvik, Okanos, and people like that. Yeah, uh, and there's also like hundreds of new entrants that say they do powder. I mean, so the competitive market, the market's a bit strange because it's like it's like you would expect in an industry that makes a lot of orthopedic implants and dental and aerospace parts. We've got a couple of big players. We've also got like hundreds of companies from all over the place that kind of just say, hey, yeah, we also have powder. So what's the, what's the competitive space like for you guys? Well, what you have to remember, right, is that this isn't the only thing that metal powder is used for, right? Mm-hmm. Metal powder is used within traditional powder metallurgy to, you know, to enable you to get fine grain structures on big billets. And that's, that's a big part of carpenter's business as well. Uh-huh. What, pe- what people are doing, right, is they're saying, well, we make metal powder. Well, perhaps we can get into this emerging market, whether or not it's the right technology that they have to be able to make powders that are good for, for metal 3D printing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I give you an example, right? If, if you take a nickel super alloy like, like Inconel 718, right? Mm-hmm. You can make that through a process where you use air atomization, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can use it, you can make it through a process where you use nitrogen atomization and you can use it through a process where you use argon atomization. And, they will all make Inconel 718 powder of the right size range. But the reality of it is a lot of the specifications that govern, you know, traditional solid form materials don't include interstitials like oxygen and nitrogen. So when you produce 718 in air, you will get a really high oxygen content, which means your parts will be uh, really brittle. When you produce it in nitrogen, 
because the nitrogen doesn't absorb into the material, you will get porosity in your powders. So you get powders with, uh, with effectively nitrogen inclusions in the actual individual particles, which results in porosity in your final parts through additive manufacturing. And then you, and then like the top end of the scale is argon, right? Or vacuum melted argon atomized powders, which enable you to produce the types of quality of parts that you need for aerospace um, and and energy sectors for for those types of materials. So although they all say seven one eight powder on the outside, it doesn't mean that what's in the uh, what's in the tin is the same. And I think it's been a process for us of educating our customers about manufacturing techniques and about material specifications to uh, to get our customers to be as successful as they can be. And what is I think what do you think is the, the important like when I'm selecting a powder because okay if I buy a machine I'm going to spend like what half a year trying to figure out if the thing works right yeah. uh, and then I'll probably just use the material I get from from AOLS or for SLM or from whomever right. Yeah, just to keep it simple, right? And then at one point, I'm going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for new things, or I'm looking for an aluminum they don't have, or whatever, right? And then I have a couple of choices. What am I looking for if I'm going to look for a powder supplier? What, what, what are the key things there that, that you can provide to help these, these I get the new companies, because at one point, you're just going to qualify stuff, and you have a, you know, two suppliers, and then you know, you're, you're set for a yeah. very long time, right? I mean, well, I, for us, right, um, to give our customers confidence, we obviously have have a, a fleet of AM machines internally to be able to test our powders and produce data sheets with the specific powders. So we have a we have a a range of powders which we call powder range, which are standard specifications that we've tuned to specific machine platforms, and uh, and we actually will provide the data that goes with those to to show that you know they can be used in additive manufacturing. I think I think the industry has grown a lot in the last five years in terms of how educated customers are around the materials and and the value of it. And what we have to remember is, you know, people aren't making prototypes with these materials, right? People are looking for mechanical properties that are comparable with, you know, other manufacturing methods, whether that be casting or forging. So the level of education of the customers is critical and you know, there's a lot of very clever customers out there now, which is which is nice for us with a premium product, right? Because right, yeah. because they see the value in it, and it's not you know it's not necessarily just just the specification of the material, but how much a material varies within that specification is critical as well. Ultimately, I think you know companies like if you're looking at like a Striker or a G or Boeing or whatever, one well, G, <laughs> they've got their own thing, of course, but but uh, a Boeing or whatever, they'll they'll tend to you know rely they know themselves that they're offering a premium product so then yeah, the logic is there for them to also use premium suppliers and stuff and they're used to people paying them more for, for than other people you know i can get a cheaper aero engine than a ga engine you know uh, yeah. that's not the problem <laughs> that's not that's not the difficult yeah. right? uh, um but um and then and then and so where do you guys so so you guys are located and you've got a site in the uk and then in the us you make it in the us right how does that work if i'm like somewhere else if i'm in like i don't know Singapore or South Africa or something and or Australia. How's, how's it going to work for me? Well, so fairly fortunately we have a, we have a network of, uh, of distributors and an internal commercial team, right? Which means we can, we can serve, you know, our customers globally. When, when we talk about our manufacturing bases, you're right. So we have, um, 
facilities in the UK, uh, based near Liverpool, um, where we produce nickel powders and titanium powders. And then we have a, a facility in Athens, Alabama, which is a really large scale facility uh, for producing mostly nickel and cobalt alloys. And in that facility, we actually have, um, you know, the end-to-end -end process. So we have powder manufacturing, we have AM machines, we have machining, heat treatment, hipping, you know, all the all the analysis techniques that we need to be able to characterize the materials. So as we're finding more and more with the with the pandemic, right? It's people are becoming, you know, the borders are getting make physically harder to cross, but digitally much easier to cross. It's becoming much more of a way of life. Like we're talking on this call today, right? Mm -hmm. So the one thing I did notice, I, I learned about this literally like today, is, is that you guys also do services. So I can also make parts, right? I can also order, like I give you like literally a SDL file and you can make parts for me. Correct. Um, it's, I mean, it's not our, our 100% focus. We're much more focused around solutions and typically Right. If you came to us with a, you know, an STL file for a prototype part, um, we probably wouldn't be, we probably wouldn't be the most competitive. Right. Our our solutions are geared around being able to provide a service to a customer to support them with productionizing a process, and and typically the customers that we work with are uh, customers where you know one of our either material developments or unique capabilities uh, appeals to them. So, so it's more about like getting them up and running uh, than, 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 than actually being a, like a service business for just one or two parts, I'd say. Yeah, correct. And exactly. there's also people, there's this whole world out there. I mean, okay, you've told us kind of at the market, but there's also this whole world out there of people who want custom powders, right? Yeah. And so, so what kind of applications are those and why do people uh, want that? The, the powders that have been adopted by the additive industry or the materials that have been adopted are fairly standard materials, right? And they were, I guess they've, the, the choice that people have with nickel alloys is, and nickel and cobalt alloys, for example, is like five or six core materials, 718, 625, cobalt chrome, and on and on, right? A, a few materials. If you think of the number of materials that they can choose from in their design space, outside of additive is huge right and so uh when people are a lot of the time when people are transitioning a a component or application over from a traditional technique to additive it helps them with that validation process if they're using exactly the same alloy right so so that's number one uh, why we make custom materials the second thing is these materials that we're using a lot of the materials that we're using today aren't optimized for, even for additive manufacturing. As we've been able to develop new materials and we're working in a number of areas, you know, we can, we can develop new materials that are processable by additive, but give you a much a higher or elevated level of properties. I'll give you an example, right? If you take titanium 6.4, we've produced a, an alloy uh, that we call uh, grade 23 plus, which is effectively a, an improvement on the standard chemistry that gives you 15 to 20% improvement in mechanical properties. You know, that, that sort of gain, right? 15 to 20% is, is huge. You know, it's huge in terms of the life of, 
life of a component and also huge in terms of your design freedom, weight loss, weight reduction. Are you, are you, are you guys going to be focused on, cause there, there's two tantalizing aspects. There's re-engineering the materials that are super popular, right? Yeah. Which you just pointed out with your, your, your grade 23 is really popular. Hey, let's make kind of like that, which is similar, but then still better. Uh, or would it be expanding like more and more and more different, new alloys what's what, what do you think is, is the way forward so so we're working on a mix right and it i know it's roughly 50 50 for if you take an example of being driven by external factors with new legislation coming out for managing cobalt content for example in in materials you know there's there's a need within you know the medical industry to create alloys that don't have cobalt or or even nickel so we're able to look at our 130 years of, of materials and effectively go through that library of materials and see what has the correct properties to be processable for additive. So in this case, we've got a material called BioDuo 108, which is essentially nickel and cobalt free. And, and we can take that from our legacy business, like our solid form business and bring it forward into additive. So whilst people say, oh, that's a new material to additive it's not it's not and you know it's not a new material to us we understand the material very well it just so happens that now the additive sector with a focus around medical is is needing a material with those characteristics and we can you know we can take our years of metallurgical knowledge and apply it to the new technology means we can shortcut the system a bit rather than starting with a blank sheet of paper. And, and besides, like, I mean, I think the obvious industry has like, always been aerospace and orthopedics. I mean, what are some other industries that you think are really exciting or interesting at the moment? So, uh, I mean, certainly the, certainly the space and defense industries are huge. I, I guess one of the things in, that we've seen throughout this pandemic more than anything is we've seen a drive from our customer base towards liquidity right? So they want to free up cash. So they want to reduce inventories. So they're actually seeing huge benefits in, in uh, additive manufacturing for more on-demand part, on parts and shorter lead times. And when you think about industries, you know, like the industrial industries and the energy industries, this is, it's absolutely critical, right? Because, you know, spare parts, you can't, you can't allow a gas turbine to be down for a long period of time. You need to get those spare parts and additive is meaning that they can reduce their, their inventory levels of finished goods by huge, huge numbers. If you're talking about like, so gas turbines, that's also very exciting because there's so many of them. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course you can also repair them with additive as well through like the shiaki and all those other processes. Yeah. So it's, that's also really interesting. Are do you guys have an interest in stuff like blown powder or like DED technologies and stuff like that? Because, you know, the pricing is very different in those industries, but it is, you know, additive. Uh, so, so is that also something you guys are venturing into? Or? Yeah. So, I mean, and yes, and we have, and we obviously have materials for it. I mean, we've got, we've got one machine. I, I would say that, um, you know, the, the real growth has been on the powder bed side in recent years. Um, also because it's, you know, parts that you can hold in your hand, right? It's a less of a challenging application generally. But yeah, I mean, and I think as we move forward and we look at, you know, process, you know, processes like the binder jetting processes, there'll be ones for the future as well, right? Yeah, no, totally. I think, but binder jet has then, you know, at the moment, a lot of people are touting that the, okay, it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be much more difficult than these guys say it is uh, in getting these parts made. 
Uh, my own opinion on Bindergen is that if you would qualify a relatively few number of parts very intensively, I see it as a very viable technology for making 10,000 of spares for those limited amount of parts. But the whole idea of slinging any geometry at Bindergen and then making it work is, 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 I don't see it working at the moment. But, but again, they, they would use the standard MIM powder. So that would be much of a cheaper cost level than what you guys are used to, right? Initially, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's typically a finer powder it's, and it's typically the applications that don't have the same stringent quality concerns like I talked about with, you know, gas atomization and the different types of gas atomization, right? I still feel like it's, it's going to become a really big tool for the additive industry in terms of making parts and the, the real challenges around geometry. No, exactly. But I think as long as we all are on the same, you know, the same page and everybody understands that, I think there is warranted hype in BinderJet. I'm just like finding myself to be like super pessimistic compared to like a lot of other people. <laughs> but I mean, uh, it's, it's the same hype that Laser had, right? Yeah. 2013. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree with you on that. It's going to change know. everything, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait till I three reprint my pancake, right? Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, okay. and, and then are there are there new materials that, or, or are there new industries that you're really uh, like really enthusiastic about or that you're seeing emerging? Because like for example, like there's some that I that are late to the party, oil and gas, marine and stuff. And I'm always interested in anything can being done in marine and stuff like that because the opportunity is so huge. And are there other industries like that that you're interested in? Or? I, I mean, I think that our focus being on the, you know, the high end of the materials spectrum is, is always going to be focused and towards aerospace and medical and, and that, those you know, IGT type applications, industrial gas, gas turbines. But I mean, we, we do see a huge amount of adoption within space, huge amount of adoption. It is, um, it's probably, it's probably come out of the, the pandemic as the, the front runner in terms of, you know, time for applications to get qualified. And, and previously, I guess, if you went back five years, it would have been F1 that was, you know, F1 and, and motorsport that was really leading the charge. So, um, yeah, no, it's good. It's good to see. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting because, like, it, it, okay, the idea that at the same time that we were being touted as the future of manufacturing, we were kind of like something coming into swing in F one. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, so the, the difference in volumes and cost was just staggering, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, in in the same thing, and everybody's like three D printing cars, and I'm like, oh, uh, hello, <laughs> we, yeah. we're making the mirror, right? We're making the mirror on an F one car, <laughs> right? The and they're rack. fantasizing about engines. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> And then everyone's like, oh, they're going to 3D print all the cars. I'm like, oh. Well, I guess, you know, who knows where this technology is going to be in, in 20 or 30 years' time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still huge, huge challenges, right? There's huge yeah. challenges in recycling powder material. There's huge challenges in, in the health and safety of, of having, you know, factories with huge amounts of powder. I mean, in the U.S., you have to be you have to be registered to have any aluminium powder right in your facility because uh, it's, it's designated as a potential you know such a such a potentially dangerous material it's uh, there's there's challenges to overcome right there's like one rather graphic for a paper kind of health and safety paper about aluminum powder that I read so I totally understand that yeah. <laughs> yeah.
because <laughs> the fire and all that yeah, that was like they kind of yeah it's a fire slash explosion kind of thing so that wasn't yeah you know, that kind of scared me as well so i understand the registration thing but um and and are there any materials that the well so okay first of all like i share your enthusiasm for commercial space it's huge they're buying an an incredible amount of machines as well yeah uh so they're not only qualifying parts they're not only asking for new materials but they're also like like really one of the leading machine investors and considering how big that industry is it's actually really tiny it's also tiny of what yeah. they want to do if you're just looking at elon's ambitions that would do a lot of growth for everyone <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. just, just just what he wants to do with his company and and so i think uh, the commercials and uh, the commercial space industry is a bit weird to work for, of course. They're a bit strange, all of them, and and they're very exacting standards. Is it? But one thing they would want, of course, is, is like extreme high temperature stuff for propulsion and stuff like that. Are we able to deliver on things like that? Yeah, yeah, certain materials. I mean, I I guess the other thing that I would I would share about the space is that they don't necessarily face the same. Um, you know, cultural challenges that you face within large aerospace or large medical companies right if if you've got these relatively new companies right with relatively young chief engineers you know it's it's easier for them to be objective and look at the data and say yeah i'm comfortable with this you know this going on this mission right one of the things i think i've found and you know i'm by no means stuck in my ways about it but i still see like uh parts designed for additive and i still think in my head oh that it it doesn't look strong enough you know like <laughs> when you see like the topology optimizers i know i know i can see the numbers right i know it's been tested and yeah. you're telling me it, it's met all this the right criteria but it just doesn't feel right and yeah. i think that within some of the larger you know aerospace oems you know there's there's always going to be some level of resistance to to being the person who who signs the uh, who signs it off. Yeah. No, I'm totally, mm. totally. Yeah, totally. And are, are there other areas besides commercial space where you're super excited, or you see that kind of dynamism as well? Um, I again, right? I think we're seeing uh, we're seeing people react in um, you know industrial sectors. Haven't really seen the the pickup in in automotive. I think we're just we're still an order of magnitude out on on pricing to be really able to hit those those volume levels with with laser based processes. You know we've got some exciting programs running with with customers in heat exchangers and uh, other fluid flow control uh, areas, which is which is really interesting. I'm super excited about flow because if you look at what we can do is, is making a, a custom geometry, especially making an internal kind of surface for that geometry to, to maybe make flow better. And the, the funny thing is flow isn't an industry, right? It's yeah. everywhere. It's like in your polymer right. processing plant. It's like in the Coca-Cola plant. It's like everywhere. And so, but if we would look at flow, imagine it's an industry. It's, it's one of, it would be one of my most exciting verticals or industries that in the entire uh, 3D printing world for metals. Because there's so many parts in a factory where just optimizing that one part by three percent or something would yeah. just make a huge difference in output yeah uh, and, we, and nobody's talking about flow so i'm really super happy you mentioned it because it, it, it to me is it's one of the areas i'm the most excited about yeah and i think you know again it comes back to education right and people being able to people knowing enough about metal 3d printing and the capabilities to be able to say you know oh well what if we 
what if we did this optimization? What if we changed the design of this component? And I, I still feel today, um, you know, there's a huge amount of education for the wider engineering communities about what we can and can't do with, with metal 3D printing. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. And what advice do you have? Let's say I'm some kind of industrial company. I, I'm, I've heard about additive. It's exciting, but I have no idea where to start. What advice do you have for, for somebody like that? Get a machine and fail fast. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, would you I, recommend an opening machine or like a getting started metal printer? I know it's like a big investment on some level, but I, look, I think the different. I think there's positives and negatives to many of the All different three D yeah. printing three D printers out there, right? But I mean, there's there's nothing which is going to make you learn more than you know than trying designs and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. I, I feel like the amount of variables that we have with different materials, different lasers, different machines, even even different technologies within metal 3D printing, you know, it's it's almost impossible right now to to write a set of design guidelines that someone can follow, right? People have to people have to go out and learn. And the best way to do that is by doing, right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Hey Ben, thank you so much uh, for your time today. No, thank you. It was, it was uh, really good to talk to you guys, and uh, I hope you uh, you have a good weekend. Yeah, Thanks, you too. Right, dude. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Max, for being on the 3D pod as well. Always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D pod. You've been listening to the 3D pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.